0: Direct fed microbials are easily added to any ration, either through top dress or adding to the TMR. Generator Elite provides beneficial bacteria, yeast, and enzymes to support production, reproduction, and overall health. Learn more at bio vet.com.
1: Welcome to the Microbials Matter Podcast, where microbials matter we welcome our host, Dr. William Zimmer, veterinarian and founder of BioVet. Dr. Zimmer has dedicated over 30 years to researching and developing products that support digestion and overall health in livestock. In the studio today, we have Dr. Zimmer back with us again. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's kind of nice out today. For it's much for nicer them. in here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but we have a, a special guest joining us, Dr. Haas. So, Hi, everybody. Yeah, How are you? tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: So I am uh, Wisconsin native, production animal veterinarian for about I guess 14 years now. Iowa State graduate.
1: We Um, won't hold that against you in this No, I always have to qualify.
2: I'm a Wisconsinite that went to Iowa for (laughs) several years. But yeah, my background's in in dairy medicine and production animal medicine generally. So um, I I left practice actually to go and uh, complete a residency in clinical microbiology back at Iowa State, again, for a one-year break, right? And then I've been back in the state since uh, 2013, been spending my time kind of between doing some consulting work on a lot of farms and in academia for the most part, so teaching at the... The vet school at an MATC, and consulting with with farms, and working on the side with Biovet.
1: So, I mean, you really. In, in the thick of it there when you when you kind of present your story like that you're on the farm you're teaching yep. it you're consulting it yep
2: exactly kind of full full circle you're there,
1: kind right? of touching all the pieces there and then we yeah. have our, our resident uh former nutritionist and veterinarian and so wow uh, the brain power in this room right now is, is Can you feel it it's a little overwhelming <laughs> for me to be honest <laughs> no, no, so, we, we
2: actually make a really good fit yep yeah, exactly we complement each other nicely
0: he has a little bit more of the more modern techniques and i still got the Things that a lot of people have forgotten, and so you've got to have that, that institutional knowledge that goes with the newer things but that are coming out. But I mean, really,
1: too, so. it's it's perfect because our listeners here are probably in a situation where they're on a multi generational farm. We have somebody mm-hmm. who's maybe a little sciencey or older or uh, seasoned mm-hmm. mentality, and some that are just more like, "Well, this is the way we're going to do it now." So exactly. we're going to tap on on both of you guys and, and what you know, and uh, hopefully, maybe what I see because. You know, I'm, I'm not on a farm like I used to be, unfortunately. But uh, last time, you know, we, we kind of just started talking a little bit about how um, feeding cows, right, yogurt for cows, was the conversation we had, and how feeding cows really just is is so impactful on not only their growth but the growth of the calf and their production. There's just so many factors, right? There's seasonality. There's what part of the U.S. are you in? Um, Feed stuffs differ, as we discussed, from morning to night um just inconsistency across that. But today I really want to dive in a little bit more into the metabolic side of things. Uh you know, we recognize the big 3, uh acidosis, ketosis and milk fever. So today we're going to talk a lot more about ketosis. Ketosis is one of those things that, you know, really kind of sneaks up on you, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you don't always see it right away, right? Cuz it's four to six weeks in by the time we see some ketosis? It,
0: it varies quite a bit. It can be anywhere from before calving to four to six weeks into lactation. And it, it all depends, as we talked about that ration, it depends on the energetics in that cow and where her energy levels are.
1: What do you guys see, you know, kind of back to Dr. Haas here, what do you kind of see as like some of those telltale signs going into it that that she might be heading towards a ketotic state or that, you know, you, you have to kind of wonder a little bit about her energy balance? What kind sure. of things are you seeing on farm that, that are your red flags? If so you're so one of the through? odd things
2: about ketosis is it really can vary. So clinical ketosis, just like a lot of different situations run on in farms, are pretty easy to diagnose because you have telltale signs. You have animals that... A lot of times we even we even call it bovine bonkers, right? So they're trying to utilize a lot of these components in their bloodstream for energy that aren't necessarily normally used at the amounts that they are. And so they act different. Oftentimes they're uh, they're not eating. Oftentimes they're uh, the the ones that I easily treat are the ones that are um, kind of set aside from the herd. and, And honestly, just acting their mentation will really set themselves apart. That's not most of the ketosis that you see on farms, though. So most of the ketosis you'll see, it would be more in a subclinical form or um, just prior to being clinical. So what we oftentimes see are the secondary effects that you see from ketosis, which are really back to your metabolic conversation that you just, or what you just mentioned, because almost all of those diseases we see in what we call the periparturient phase, which is right after having their babies. So in that early first 30 days in milk, things like uh, metritis, mastitis, displaced abomasa, those things almost always have a underlying cause with some degree of ketosis because those animals are really struggling from going from a ration in the dry cow period to now a lactating ration, plus all the energy that's required for them to be producing this milk, producing that baby in the last part of gestation. All of that energy gets pulled from that cow or that you can even get ketosis in younger heifers, but in a heifer as well. And so at the point now they're making all this milk, that's when we see a lot of these we call fresh cow diseases and ketosis is invariably linked
1: it's understated right that previous or the incoming 30 days and the post 30 days calving are just so intense when you look at a cow and just and the energy i mean we, we talk about cows and mega calories right like mm-hmm. thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of calories and to kind of put that into context where one day her calorie requirement is so little and and the next day it's it can spike so high so dr zimmer walk me through a little bit like where does that ketosis in your mind where does that ketosis problem kind of start is it the ration in the dry cow period is it just how she's metabolizing energy all the way along where in your mind does the seed kind of start that grows into what can become this, this ketotic cow and these other underlying problems?
0: And the answer to all of your questions is yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it always so, is. So
0: because it is such a, an insidious thing, it, it all comes back to energy balance for these cows. And so a lot of times it'll start prior to calving. One of the other symptoms you can kind of see, it's not a <laughs> clinical symptom, but it's an early sign that a cow is going to be prone to ketosis. is During the dry period, her dry matter intake will drop off quite a bit just before calving those cows almost inevitably end up with ketosis of some kind in fact i usually make the statement and again because of the energy of the cows and the fact that our reproductive programs that we've had out there over the years has increased our genetic Mm -hmm. base for milk production so dramatically that it's impossible to keep up with that energy demand. That cow just has the genetics. If you give her a little bit more energy, she's going to produce a lot more milk and she's going to need more energy. And it's just this this never-ending spiral. So we've kind of created some of that problem, if you will, just based on the genetics that are there. And now we have to be able to manage it. I usually make the statement that every single cow that calves in North America, probably, at least for the United States, for sure, if it's a dairy cow, is going to have some level of ketosis. They all have negative energy balance and they're going to have some level of ketosis question becomes, is it severe enough to create other issues or not? And how long does it last? And so when you ask when it starts, it starts back in the dry period a lot of times. And I know just before we came on air, we were having a little discussion on some of the Mm -hmm. terminology that goes on with uh, the ketosis things. And so usually there's a couple of different types of ways that cows deal with negative energy. And she'll either turn fat on her body into energy sources they can use. And prior to calving, we tend to see an accumulation of what's called a non-esterified fatty acid or a NIFA. And right. then after calving, it tends to be more the beta-hydroxybutyrate is where the pathway kind of gets stuck, and so we see that accumulation. And so either of those, as they start to build up, are by definition ketosis, but start to create issues with all the other you know, systems that are within the body, whether it's the immune system, the reproductive tract, the mammary gland, all these different things that go on. So it starts in one place but then it can get worse right at calving time because all of a sudden we have to make colostrum, mm-hmm. we have to make milk, we're off feed for a day, maybe it persists for a week and then it's gone, maybe it persists for two weeks, maybe it doesn't start until the second week and then it persists until four weeks. The biggest thing is what level of ketosis they have and how long it lasts. Those are the really two important parts of, of looking at ketosis and then trying to figure out that energy before what we can do to maximize dry matter intake and then make sure that she has all the energy she needs
1: after. We talk about energy. And I think s- important thing to to maybe debunk or address is that fat cows equal ketotic cows. Mm-hmm. And while there might be some underlying mm-hmm. truth to she's utilizing her energy differently than maybe a cow that, that isn't as heavy, that's not always the case, right? Because we're really mm-hmm. boiling it down to energy needs. So if she's really milking heavy out of the gate, that maybe isn't, you know, mm-hmm. she mean be more right. ketotic than than a heavy cow, right? Mm-hmm. We've all heard this on farm, fat cows equal ketotic cows. Yeah.
2: That's something I noticed in practice early on is that I had just as many metabolic issues in thin cows as I did in, in heavy cows. And so I think the thought always was, we know that ketones are derived from breakdown of, of fats, of lipids in the body. So if you had more lipids, you were going to have more ketosis, and that doesn't bear bear out. It's really an overwhelming of the system with the ketones. Ketones in small amounts are really good energy sources for Mm -hmm. short periods of time. It's the body's way of rescuing itself while it's not taking in the energy that it needs to. The problem comes when the liver gets overrun and and the body systems get overrun where you actually start shedding these ketones. And these ketones Mm -hmm. cause issues elsewhere when they get into the blood. But you know we we can take blood samples for ketones, we can take urine samples for ketones, we can take milk samples for ketones. So it, it gets shed all throughout the body, and and it's really not necessarily. I can't look at one cow and say she's really overconditioned. She's really you know has more weight on her than she should have, and she for surely is going to have ketosis right. um, because of the way the genetics in these in these cattle are nowadays. And and they do actually
0: get. Ketosis from slightly different avenues, whether mm-hmm. they're underconditioned or overconditioned.
1: Yep. Oh yeah, definitely. So an
0: overconditioned cow tends to deposit fat in their liver, which then reduces the liver's capacity to metabolize that energy when she starts wanting to burn the fat.
1: Fatty liver. And so yep, that's right? your fatty yeah. liver yep.
0: side yep. with fat cows. Whereas your thin cows, they just don't have enough reserve there, and they're mm-hmm. constantly breaking things down, and, and they really do have the propensity to push their milk. And in fact, the reason they're probably thin to start with, if they're second, third lactation. Is because they were milking really heavy, yeah. probably the first time or second time around. So yeah. that depleted does those of That kind of predisposes them even to ketosis the next time around, just because they are going to put such a huge demand on. So mm-hmm. you get it from two different directions. Mm-hmm. You can't just stereotype a cow and say you know you're going to be ketotic or not ketotic. Mm-hmm.
1: I have to laugh because this, this <laughs> I grew up on a small dairy, right? So it's it's nice to know that there's been so much advancement from you know standing there and trying to get the little pea strips to the blood tests and stuff we yep. can do today. And really, blood tests can generally indicate it a little earlier on, would you say? Uh,
2: definitely. So, I mean, we've gotten to the point, even in my career, you know, from going strictly, strictly to keto strips, which are urine-based or milk mm-hmm. ketones, which are very, have very low sensitivity. Um, yeah. So if you're red-hot ketotic, and that's literally red-hot ketotic because those strips will glow in the dark almost. They're so dark. You know she's got ketosis, but it's those kind of subclinical, those little borderline ones that are the ones that we didn't necessarily catch. And treatments actually have changed recently over the last decade or so based on that. We know that giving energy sources to cows that don't need it is actually a detriment to that cow Mm -hmm. from a standpoint of body balance of energy sources. Why start to metabolize feed sources differently when you're providing that energy to them? So the thought of, okay, we're going to give a bottle of dextrose to every cow, regardless if she's ketotic or not, or clinical or subclinical, that really has been shown to be not a benefit. We want to treat the ones that are clinical. We want to manage the ones that aren't and hopefully prevent those. And by using the, you know, it's really, it's it's the strips that they are human strips for use for um, mm-hmm. diabetics and people that have diabetic ketoacidosis. That's where that term comes from, is that we can measure those, those ketone bodies early and get a really precise level to be able to manage that. And we use it more now, honestly on on really well-managed dairies as a a screen so Hmm. we'll screen 10 cows that freshen in a month determine where we're at for those levels and then make an assumption or make a determination if we have to modify anything in the ration of those cows where we couldn't really do that before it used to be she's hot ketotic or not and and to tell you the truth we missed a lot of cows that way well and in the old days
0: we'd get one that was a little bit pink well that was probably those subclinical ketotic cows and we should have probably realize that they have something going on. Otherwise, this test wouldn't have reacted some way, but it wasn't the glow-in-the-dark purple mm-hmm. that we're, you know, used to seeing on those tests when they have clinical disease. So
1: Right, right. So, I mean, we've kind of been dancing around it, right? It seems like if there was a solution, and I use that word very loosely, preventative measure here, it's that we really want to maintain the right diet, is correct energy-wise diet through that transition period, but we got to keep her eating it, mm-hmm. right? Is that
0: we've got to keep her eating it, and I think I would add one more aspect to that as well: is we really have to do a better job of monitoring these cows during that period of time. Sure, because again, the, the genetics that are behind these cows and the energetics—if um, we just feed them more energy, we can create other issues as well. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have to monitor where we're at. There is one part of this whole ketosis complex that we haven't touched on yet and that is the glucose status of the cows. So you just heard Dr. Haas say one of the treatments we use in clinical cases was a bottle of dextrose. Well, that's a very short-lived product, but ketosis, even after you treat it, is going to continue on for a week or two or sometimes three. You have to get them out of this energy balance. So we need to have glucose precursors that the cow can then build her own blood glucose with, and those are best done either on a short-term basis. We can do oral drenches and things like that, or Mm -hmm. something that's going to create more propionate coming out of that ration because that's how the cow prefers to make her blood glucose and why that becomes so important Is You have to remember, part of the ketosis issue here is the cow's realizing that she's in a negative energy balance and she's trying to make up for that by utilizing these ketones. Glucose, when you and I have high glucose, we release insulin to help drive that glucose into our tissues. And that insulin in a cow is actually one of the triggers that lets that cow know that she doesn't need to keep burning these ketones and she can go from a ketogenic state to a glucogenic state and kind of get herself out of ketosis. So glucose does have an important part of that.
1: So I mean you you hit on one of my favorite words propionic acid <laughs> and that's going back to to right back to that microbiome exactly. isn't it we're back to i mean microbes are truly still at the root of all of this mm-hmm. even when we talk about feeding cows especially in the dry period and again i i liked that you made the point about how really have to keep an eye on dry cows because it's easy, especially in far off dry cows, that they're maybe put in an outside pen or turned in with some places bred heifers or out on pasture. And so it's sometimes it's easy to lose track of them a little bit and Mm -hmm. not only keeping track of them, but making sure that, you know, our favorite thing ever, yogurt for cows, those microbes (laughs) are still getting well, and okay. you never yeah, want to lose mean? track
0: of them because to me, the worst ketosis cases that are out there are the ones that are ketotic before they calve. Mm-hmm. They're in a yep. negative energy balance two to three weeks before they even calve. They're just train wrecks.
1: How, how would we know that? I mean, as somebody who hasn't been on farm in a little bit, how would well, we know or is it, purely, is it purely a blood test to know that?
2: I start seeing ancillary signs and the farmers will tell me. Almost very rarely does a farmer come up to me and say, I got a ketosis problem. Because they don't necessarily know it if they're not looking for it. Um, what they'll tell me is I have a I have a issue with not cleaning. That's yeah. the typical presentation, and it's the, it's the earliest presentation you're going to see, right? And I usually see it first off when I see those those herds that say, you know, Doc, I've had you know one to two percent retained placentas in my herd historically. I'm up to five or six. I'm, I'm treating these animals left and right. It's costing me a lot. What's going on? And we invariably go back and look at the metabolism and the metabolic state of those cows at that point, and then try to start determining what's gonna happen for that next group of, of dry cows that are coming in and see if we can address it at that point. The microbes are so important though, because if you think about what's really happening in those cows is you're really changing the microbial population in that rumen, drastically for two months you're going from a lactation diet and even if you go from a far-off diet you're then changing them to a really a very nutrient because we know they have a propensity to get heavier and to gain throw weight on their sides we put in a a diet not feeding the microbes in the room and what we typically were for the previous seven months or so and now all of a sudden we're abruptly changing them again we go from a very sparse energetically sparse diet to energetically rich diet to promote lactation to promote everything else that she needs to do in that early 30 days of, of lactation and the microbes take time to adapt and because they're not adapting overnight if they're not giving some certain type of considerations that we you know biovet provides and what other considerations that we have there as far as the dfms is it takes time and so that's where we can actually do things to help a situation on the farm.
0: We should also mention right now that if Dr. Haas sounds like he's excited about bacteria, it is because he's trained as a microbiologist (laughs) as well. Right. Well,
1: uh, you know, we we haven't talked, mastitis, uh, you know, is potentially down the line. So we'll uh, we'll hold off on on the mastitis talk for today, which every farmer I'm sure wants to hear a little bit more about. But it's
0: related to ketosis as well. So th- this is the thing with ketosis. We, we always think about the primary ketosis cases, you know, as a clinical case, and we're the subclinical part really hurts farmers in the pocketbook is because it has a negative effect on reproduction. So Dr. Haas mentioned retained placenta. Metritis rates go up. Mastitis rates go up. Because ketones, when they're overflowing the system, will actually inhibit some of the functions of the immune system and the reproductive system. And so you can run into that situation where a cow, say, a negative energy balance, and we talked about glucose a couple minutes ago, Mm -hmm. her immune system, which requires, say, white blood cells to help clean up that uterus and, and keep metritis at a minimum, and then be ready to produce another calf. That's an immune response. It's an inflammatory response. Requires white blood cells, which require glucose as an energy source. Well,
1: would you so look now, at if that? I don't
0: have glucose because I'm ketotic, I lose about thirty to forty percent of my white blood cell function. It's never ending.
1: It's never ending. And and I love what I love about this is like you know we started out we talked about really the core of this, the microbes and the microbiome and. And now we've really kind of hit on like that next big step is if you can't keep the energy right and you can't keep those microbes functioning and enough microbes functioning, you're just setting yourself up for this domino effect mm-hmm. across just, right. man, all the problems. And I think sometimes we forget, you know, we say, oh, she, we have a ketotic cow. Great, you know, a little propylene glycol, a little dextrose, mm-hmm. whatever, it's going to solve the issue. And I think we sometimes forget that, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. Right. We'll it's forget that
0: three months problem. later she didn't breed. And now okay. we have to go back and look right. at, oh, yeah, she had ketosis. And there's a primary cause to why she didn't breed yeah. back. So it, it is more insidious, as you're stating. It's not just, you know, treat them and be done.
2: It's, well, and and I think that's it. a perfect example, too, is, you know, twisted stomachs, display stabomasa. Mm-hmm. That used to be the typical ketosis because if, obviously, if she's not functioning right, in her GI tract, she's not going to be taking any energy that she needs to. But we also get stasis in the guts, and we get a lot of the other repercussions from a displaced abomasa because of ketosis as being the primary primary cause. Fixing the DA is not going to fix the ketosis. So, yeah, we we fixed the one thing that the farmer knows is she's got a twist. We need to fix her. Tack her down, and even if it's a permanent fix, that doesn't do anything for her next lactation's ketotic state. Right, it's uh,
1: addressing the immediate problem. Exactly. And you'd think then— There'd be seasonality related to ketosis because we're going to see them definitely drop intake over the summer if it's too hot or we may see them utilizing energy differently and, you know, we're in the upper Midwest here if there is some some cold stress um, that goes through. So do, do you typically see that or do you think that's really kind of independent, maybe not independent, not the right word, but um, maybe isn't as big of a factor as it is just really making sure she keeps eating?
2: I mean, there's, there's a couple of seasonal factors that I see that aren't necessarily all the ones that you brought up. I mean, I think the, the one, one thing you always got to think about is that energy is a big pool, right? And so energy has to be used for all of the things that that cow has to do. So if she's a younger uh, animal. She's still growing. She's putting energy there. She's putting energy into her lactations, um, Whenever she is pregnant, now we're talking about early fresh animals, so probably not pregnant. Mm -hmm. But um, the net energy of gestation is important there, too. And the net energy of maintenance, all the things that Dr. Zimmer mentioned, you know, white blood cells, uh, antibodies, those are protein, right? That takes energy in order to produce those type of things. Um, So we definitely see that even when we have animals that are thermoregulating, trying to either blow off heat or to stay warm, that they can use energy that way. And, And again, it's that pool shrinking uh, for something that it naturally wouldn't have to, if it was under a we'd say a perfect condition, right? But what I what I would see as a little bit of a factor as well has to do with a lot of times with the feed changes that occur on these farms because mm-hmm. of the way that. Uh, feeds are ensiled now and with the total mixed ration feeding where everything's getting mixed up and and really you have a high group, a medium group, low groups, whatever, as far as production goes. But you're not getting the individual component feedings that you used to do on the small 50 head dairy farms from 20, 30, 40 years ago that when they get into another bag of feed or they get into a different source or they have to buy some feed from a source, a lot of times you'll see cows go off feed at that period of time. And that can cause some issues. We see a lot of times when you have those wet, kind of moderate falls where you get a little Mm -hmm. bit more mold in the feed, and those cows go off feed a little bit that way too. Again, the body has to adapt to that. The microbes that are really being fed have to adapt to those. And so, in those situations, we can see a lot of those problems that are associated with that type of a change too.
0: They'll they'll be seasonal. It's just a question of what the cause is. And one thing I do see. To get kind of to your seasonal question, because I think you, I know where you were going with that, is we do have a lot of rations now that are more based on corn silage. And corn silage is one of those forages and feeds that when you put them up in the silo, the starches and the grains portion of that is not fully degraded enough where it's really available to that cow.
1: Right, yeah. And
0: after it ensiles for three, four months, that starch availability will go up quite dramatically. Changes. So if I put corn silage up in the fall and I have to open that up, let's say in December here in Wisconsin, it may not have that total digestibility that shows up on the feed report that we get by sending Mm -hmm. it off and testing it. And so maybe we're underestimating the amount of energy that the cow is truly getting out of this forage. That might be a situation where we might see ketosis. Or we'll get to the other side of it where it's too digestible and she's getting some acidosis and that's throwing her off a feed. And when she goes off feed, now we're going to be in a negative energy balance and we're going to get ketosis. So, you, you know, you can get this from either side of that. And some of that, it just has to do with those Feeds that we're putting up and keeping them consistent, and I kind mean, of reading the cows,
1: listening to you guys. I feel like every cow is ketotic all the time, really, <laughs> and under the right circumstances. I she won't probably... say ketotic
0: all the time, but she is. Every cow is ketotic after at she calves. At some point, exactly. at some yeah. yep. she is going to be. Hard, hard how hard you want to look?
1: We do a pretty good job then of at least negating the more subclinical, hopefully, mm-hmm. pieces. But you know, something I have to ask at this point, right, Doctor Zimmer, You know, we like to help animals to help themselves. So how does the BioVet component and and maybe microbials play into, direct fed might play into this story of dry matter intake and energy utilization? I mean, we've touched on it. We've danced around it. we got to keep microbes. we got to keep the microbiome going. What's the BioVet story? Three major areas.
0: Number one, energy is going to be related to dry matter intake. The more pounds I eat, the more energy I can derive. Hopefully, yeah. So... (laughs) Good microbials, including yeast culture and things like that, that will help drive dry matter intake will help with a ketotic state because cows will be able to drive more energy just by taking more in. The second one, as we mentioned earlier, a little bit about acidosis. When we're creating these rations in early lactation going from basically a cow that's off feed the day she calves and has probably been on a low energy diet to suddenly putting her into a high group or something like that where the energy levels are really, really high and and quite fermentable, because her rumen's not ready for that, she is more predisposed to having acidosis. Mm-hmm. And so as we get these little bouts of acidosis that go on, that can create some negative aspects as far as the absorption of those nutrients that that cow needs. So we can deal with acidosis by supplying microbes from a DFM, for example, that will help keep some of those organic acids that are being produced to a minimum and keeping that acidotic state a little bit more buffered out and the pH in the rumen a little more likeable for all those organisms in that microbiome to perform the way they're supposed to and so that's part of the acidosis. The third part is really one of the other strains of propionibacteria that we work with, which really produces high levels of propionate out of whatever's in the ration. And because that glucose part of ketosis is there, being able to generate that propionate really helps with that ketotic state on cows. It really minimizes the length that they're ketotic. It gets them over into a glucogenic standpoint. So they get the feedback in their body that says, hey, you don't need to be taking all this fat off of Mm -hmm. your back. And you don't need to be burning all these ketones and getting yourself stuck in this rut. So those are the three major things that I see with a good DFM, especially ours, of course, because of the propionibacteria part of that. Um, but there are other aspects to it as well. Just keeping that microbiome happy is mm-hmm. going to give you more nutrients out of the ration in your digestive. Well, for sure. I mean, life, the microbes
1: so. the microbes feed, feed the cow, feed the life. Yep. Um, you know, along those lines, I think sometimes the misconception is that with DFMs, you have to feed them for so long. Like, you have to have months and months into it. And that's maybe not necessarily the case, right? You that, can. That is correct.
0: There are certain aspects you do need to keep them in for a long period of time. But there are other things on a short-term basis that you can have effect. And acidosis and propionate generation are two of them if you're having just short little windows of acidosis that you can deal with. And from a propionate standpoint, I wouldn't consider this long-term, but maybe we're talking 30, 60, maybe out to 100 days in lactation. Then they're through this window of ketosis. Maybe they're past their peak in milk. We don't necessarily need to put as much in
2: at that point Mm -hmm. in time. Most of the problems that that cow has are within the first 30 days.
1: Right. And if you have a really high
2: producing cow, then obviously those those change, right? So mm-hmm. if I have a cow that's, you know, a, kind of a marginal producer, then that may be, although you could also turn that on its head and say maybe we can turn her into a better producer by really managing that microbiota that's in the, in the room in itself as well. But definitely high producing cows that are in that kind of sweet spot as far as our lactation goes, um, they definitely will benefit from that for that period of time that Dr. Zimmer had mentioned, so... It's it can be very individual on those cows depending on their production status.
1: I mean, that's something you can start already in the far dry off period if you really wanted to. I mean, ideally,
2: you, you some could things do I year think long, you could. But- I. I- so as
0: we mentioned, as I was mentioning, the propionobacteria <coughs> that is really good at producing propionate. I don't think we need to have quite that level of propionate in the far dry off period.
1: Mm-hmm. But Fair once enough. we
0: get to the transition time, that two to three weeks prior to calving, mm-hmm. then we really need because that's when the glucose requirement goes up. That's when we can probably target starting that P169 strain of bacteria that's going to give us all that extra propionate. So I would really target that one starting preferably two to three weeks before calving
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then maybe taking it through, on some herds I've taken it through 30 days just to get them through this metabolic crisis issue that they all run into. Mm-hmm. Right. The best place is probably to take them out to about 100 days in lactation so that you get the benefits from... The reproduction, the, the say, milk. Yep. The, the, these cows all have such high levels of natural somatotropin. They want to produce milk. If you give her the glucose, that actually stimulates more milk
1: production because I that's mean, how they build I mean, she's lactose, so good so. at her job. She is. She's they so are. good at her They're job that, that uh, sometimes we have to... Kind of be like it's okay, mm-hmm. it's okay not to put every piece of energy into mm-hmm. into making it's hard, milk. it's
0: hard to tell a cow not to do that.
1: I know. I'm well, sorry, yeah, it is. It is, it is. They, as much as we want to just go milk, up milk, to so. each one of them in the barn and think that that works. They can do it so efficiently, and they can do it again with this this huge just variability in feedstuffs, which mm-hmm. we, I always come back to. But that's the magic of the microbiome, really.
2: It is. It is. Hundred percent. I mean they're they're really if you think about two hundred years ago, cattle out on pasture to what we have now, but what they're asked to do is so much more. I mean, they are we've made mentioned before about this that they're running a marathon every single day of their lactation really. So they're we just athletes. turn them into yeah. athletic powerhouses by by selection for doing what they do the best, and that's make milk and make babies. That's the two things that they really do well. So
1: But luckily we feed them for that too. So. Exactly you know, until they have these these energy swings that, you know, every cow, just, just like every person is is very different and that we can't, we have no magic way to predict necessarily. We just have a good idea of what we think mm-hmm. might happen in that energy uh, scenario. I feel like we covered a lot here. I'm, I'm almost ready to go get my master's in uh, biochemistry after <laughs> hanging out with both of you. What What is your take-home message, I guess, at the end of the day when it comes to ketosis, ketosis prevention? what you What your hope is for the future of of ketosis problems. tell me the the take home here. what's What's the lesson learned out of our our chat today about ketosis?
2: I'd say from my standpoint as a clinical veterinarian is that um, the tide has changed over the last decade or two from treatment to prevention of this disease and most of the diseases that we deal with. And so I think addressing these animals in their dry period, it's one of those periods of time. Where we kind of forget about the cow unfortunately and I think with great research from the University of Madison here with the transition cow index and looking at how we mm-hmm. can actually manage that better um, that's been a, a real great game changer over the last couple of decades and I think um, just a natural extension of that would be to look at the ability to to manage the the rumen microbiota that's present to prevent these and again it's it's a little bit looking backwards a couple of weeks as opposed to looking at it on the day of calving but I think it's kind of the way that that the science has changed in the last couple of years. So Good. I think prevention is the key here.
1: Change the mindset a little bit in the time frame, Dr. Zimmer?
0: I think my take home message would be that dairymen especially need to understand that all their cows are going to get ketosis of some level. It probably is not going to be ketotic clinically, but it's going to be something less than that. And that is costing them money. So anything that they can do to shorten that period of time, to improve the energetics of those cows so that they, they don't, progress to something worse or have some ancillary disease afterwards is going to save them a lot of money and make them a lot more money as far as the genetic potential of that cow so I think just having that knowledge and and saying all right, this is something I'm going to have to deal with what am I going to do in part of my treatment protocols for example when a cow calves on that day of calving that I can get her through this window so I can do everything I can nutritionally but what else can I do for this cow to get her through this critical one, two, or three days that really sets them up for the next 30 days as to where their energy is going to be. That to me would be the take-home message: is is getting that understanding that's there. I think I think the science, and our ability to detect and know what's going to happen because of these things is, is really helpful. And tools are now available that you can monitor and, and make these decisions. Don't freak out that it's happening. Understand it's part of natural you know, processes that are going on, what can I do to help that cow deal with that the best?
1: Definitely, definitely. Well, you know, guys, I'm looking forward to to talking more. We learned a lot, I think, today about ketosis. And I think, again, we learned that it's a bigger underlying problem than I think we ever maybe give it credit for. And, you know, we'll continue our conversation and, and how really the microbiome and, and microbials really kind of shape cows every day and and so looking forward to chatting with you guys uh, about milk fever to learn more about microbials check out our other podcast episodes or read more at bio-vet.com